before the venerable Vivekananda gives some more walking, some walking instructions this morning. But I'd like to introduce the whole Saira Upandita party who came. Give you a little background about really what a very special group of people, Saira's nuns, have come. Saira U Tamani Jaw, who's sitting on my right, he ordained as a samanera, as a novice, at age 11, and he's been a monk for 26 years. Tamani Jaw is actually a pen name. His uh, monk's name is Udamika, Venerable Udamika. But he took the pen name, it means outstanding samanera outstanding novice, because of when he started writing and suggested he take a pen name, uh, took that name because of how high he scored on the, uh, his examinations as a novice. It was very outstanding. And so he became outstanding novice. <laughs> He is both a great, great scholar and meditation master. He accompanied Sayadaw Upandita twice to America and twice to Malaysia. He's written over 70 books and pamphlets, so he's very well known in Burma uh, you know, for all of his writing as well as his teaching. His first book was actually about the Dharma tour to America that Sayadaw took in 1991. So he accompanied Sayadaw Upandita here and then wrote about it when he returned to Burma. He's written on the teachings of uh, Mahasi Sayadaw, who was kind of the grandfather of the lineage, uh, teachings of Upandita, teachings different aspects of the Tipitaka, you know, the Buddhist, uh, Buddhist suttas. He's also uh, been known for teaching many nuns, um, and one of whom has accompanied him here, uh, whom you have seen around, Malpimala Pinyani. His students have scored first and second in all of Burma in the national exams. So it's, it's quite an amazing accomplishment. He's also organized courses uh, what is called the, in, in Buddhist culture for the novices, for the young people, sort of like an expanded version of our young adults course. Um, he's been teaching um, also the foreign yogis at Pandita Rama's forest monastery outside of Rangoon. Rangoon. So we're really honored to have him with us and to be teaching us just on my right is Venerable Uviva Kananda, who's originally from Germany, and he's been a monk for 13 years under Saida Upandita's guidance. He spent nine years in Burma and the last five years in Lumbini, in Nepal, which is the birthplace of the Buddha. When he was in Burma, he was very involved in the planning and the construction of the forest monastery there. He said that he learned more about 
water and dams and roads and construction than he ever wanted to know. I can sympathize. In Lumbini, he's been establishing a new center, and they've had over 130 meditators there, many of them long-term meditators, uh, from over 25 countries, so it's, it's an important international center because of the importance of Lumbini. He teaches year-round there, and many of the yogis stay for periods of eight to nine months. So the intention is very similar to what we are hoping for for the forest refuge. And he said that he really appreciates guiding people in long-term practice. He's being in Lumbini, he's helping to develop it as an international Buddhist pilgrimage site. And it's, as you can imagine, quite a special place. And over these last few years, uh, there's been a real strengthening of the Sangha, the monastic Sangha there. He's translated uh, some of Saida Upandita's talks, uh, ones which have not yet been published in English, and uh, Wisdom publication seems like Wisdom will be publishing it. Perhaps the tentative title is beautifying the mind. Uh, he's accommodated Saida Upandita and other, other Saidas to Europe several times during these extensive Dharma tours in many countries, France and England and Italy and Austria and Germany and Hungary. Uh, and he was actually scheduled to return to Europe this year, just at this time. But he canceled it all to come here at Saida's request. So again, we're, we're very appreciative of that. I'd also like to introduce Ma Dimalanyane, the nun who accompanied uh, the party Saida. She's originally from Nepal. She went to Panditarama in 1991. And she's been a nun for 12 years now. She spent time both in intensive meditation practice and in study. She learned Burmese and passed her first examination in Burmese in just three months. Well, quite a mind. She studied under Utamani Joa and after three years finished first in all of Burma on that, on that examination. This is as a foreigner, not Burmese is not her native language. And then finished the higher, the higher level examinations some years later, second in all of the country. She said, missing out by just a couple of points to another student of Venerable Uttamani Joe. So it's quite, quite amazing. Um, since 1999, she's been teaching other nuns and also, uh, and novices um, in the, that Buddhist culture program. And She's been assisting Sayadaw Upandita, really, in running Panditarama, which between the city center in Yangon and the forest monastery, uh, it's quite a big, big operation. 
she's translated suttas into Nawari, which is one of the languages spoken in Nepal. Uh, she speaks herself five languages. So we are really very honored to have this very, very highly respected and impressive group of monastics with us. So now Venerable Vivekananda is going to give some instruction on the walking. Well, the instructions to be given this morning won't be only on the walking meditation, but um, also some additional instructions on the you know, sitting meditation, general activities, and uh, then the interview. All of you have listened already yesterday to the All of you have uh, already listened to the tape instructions yesterday given by the late Venerable Mahasi Siada originally. And so there's a few points that need to be re-emphasized and a few points that are not mentioned on the tape that I would like to you know, point out to you. Now, first of all, in the meditation practice, sitting practice, you can assume any posture, cross-legged, you know, full lotus posture, half lotus, or in the so-called Burmese posture, placing one leg in front of you know, the other. Um, for those who have back problems or knee problems, you could also possibly sit on a bench or um, on a chair, but without leaning against the backrest. Then it's important to sit as upright as possible, and then furthermore, the eyes should be closed during the sitting meditation, except uh, when you're suffering from uh, severe drowsiness, and uh, the breathing should uh, be nor uh, should be natural, which means that occasionally in the uh, course of a sitting, the you know, speed of the rising and falling, and uh, this then implies of the breathing, the speed may increase, it may accelerate. In this case, just leave the breathing as it is, observe it as it is, without interfering with it. Again, when concentration deepens, it's, uh, it may happen that the rising and falling slows down and becomes more refined. And in this case, just observe it as it is without trying to accelerate uh, you know, the breathing intentionally. So just keep the breathing as natural as possible you know, without manipulating it, controlling it, or interfering with it in any uh, way. And then, of course, the primary object uh, of the meditation practice is the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. And so the noting of it, noting observation of it has been uh, explained extensively on the tape. Now, our teacher, the Venerasad Upandita, has introduced another three important aspects which I would like to share with you. Number one, in the observation of an object, any object, 
There's three points to be, or three aspects to be remembered. Number one is the occurrence of the object. Number two, the labeling and the observation of the object. And number three, knowing the nature of the object. Now, to give you an example, when the rising movement of the abdomen occurs, you know, then this means you know, that's the occurrence of the object. There's nothing special that we have to do at this point. The object will arise automatically. But then the next point is that we have to label it as rising, rising, with a soft, gentle label in the mind. And this labeling then you know, will be followed by a very careful and diligent observation of the rising movement uh, as such, from the very beginning through the middle to the very end. And you know, then, the third aspect is knowing the nature of the object. Now, by this we mean the to know the different sensations that occur during the rising movement. So, it could be tension, stiffness, tightness, hardness, or you know, vibrations, heat, cold, and so on and so forth. Also, various kinds of movements. Then, when the falling movement of the abdomen arises, then you know, this uh, you know, arising, the simple arising of the falling movement, is uh, is you know, the occurrence of the object. Again, it does not require any effort on our uh, part, and. So, and then next, we have to label this process as falling, falling, once or twice, and then observe the entire process from the very beginning to the very end. And as for the last aspect, knowing the nature of the object, well, again, it's knowing the different sensations that occur during the falling movement, such as a release of tension, release of stiffness, and the sense of relaxation, or some warmth, some vibrations, various kinds of movements. So, nothing esoteric is meant by the by observing by knowing the nature of the object. Is simply knowing exactly what's what's happening. Now, as one is labeling and observing and knowing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen for a longer period of time, sooner or later the mind will wander. It will go off either into the future or into the past and hardly ever will it stay in the present moment. And when this happens, we should we let go of the rising and falling, and we shift our attention to the wandering mind. We take it as a new object of observation and start labeling it as wandering, wandering, or we might we could label it as thinking, thinking, or to be more specific, if we 
yeah, happen to plan, then we label this as planning, planning. Or if the mind imagines something, then we label this as imagining, imagining, and so on and so forth. Now, when labeling and observing the wandering mind, it is very important for meditators not to get attached to the content of the thoughts. During your sitting meditation, you may have the greatest, the most fascinating ideas coming up, insights coming up, and yet these are just mental objects coming and going, just like a soap bubble. Nothing permanent. So please don't get carried away by your by the content of your thoughts, and. If one is not careful about the wandering mind, then it easily happens that one thought leads to the next, to the next, and then it becomes a train of thought, of thoughts, or a string of thoughts. And we find ourselves lost in thinking for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, without knowing the rising and falling, or any of the other objects that may arise in the body. And then when the wandering mind, a predominant wandering mind occurs, try to catch it as quickly as possible and then immediately label it and then when it disappears, return to the rise and fall. Should the wandering mind not cease right away, then continue to label it a little bit longer and then after a few moments, simply cut it off, deliberately cut it off and return to your rising and falling. Then once you've uh, returned from the run wandering mind, then continue to note and observe your uh, rising and falling movements of uh, the abdomen. And while doing so, sooner or later, a pain uh, you know, will arise somewhere in the body, maybe in the knee or in the back or in the neck or elsewhere. In this case, when the pain becomes predominant, becomes a predominant object of observation, then we take it as the next object. And so we let go of the rise and fall, we shift our attention to the pain, and then we start to label it as pain, pain. And actually, we label it once, then we observe it for a few moments, again we label it briefly, and briefly and gently, again we observe it for a while, and so on and so forth. Now, in the observation of pains and aches and other predominant sensations in the body, there's four basic aspects that are very helpful for our observation. The first one is to know the quality of the pain or the characteristic of the pain. By this we mean what kind of pain is it? There's a great variety of pains around. Is it a stabbing pain, or a piercing pain, or a drilling pain, or a boring pain, or is it a, a hard pain, or a burning pain, or stretching pain, or a compression pain, and so on and so forth. 
and or it could be a tearing pain, and uh, you may find even some other pains. So, and uh, when when you when you gain clarity about the quality of the pain, then as a next aspect, look for its intensity. How is this pain behaving in terms of intensity? Is the intensity of the pain increasing? Or is it staying the same? Or is it gradually decreasing and eventually the pain disappears? So just know uh, about its intensity. And then as, a, as a, the third aspect, uh, carefully observe what happens to the pain in terms of location. Now, pain may arise in one spot, and while you're labeling and observing it, the pain disappears in the same spot. Or a pain may arise in one spot, and while you're labeling and observing it, it starts to spread out over a larger area. Then know this particular feature. Or a pain may arise in one spot, and while you're noting and observing it, it moves, it moves around, either in a straight line, or in a zigzag line, or uh, in a circle, or in any other uh, way. So, know no, the particular feature of, or this particular feature of you know, the pain. Then, uh, also, you can observe the pain in terms of its duration. Is it a short-lived pain that lasts only a few you know, moments or a few seconds? Or is it a pain that lasts a little bit longer, a couple of minutes? Or does the pain uh, last uh, for uh, the entire sitting to the dismay of the meditator? And so, whatever it is, please know how the pain is behaving. And by keeping these four aspects in mind, namely the quality of the pain, its intensity, its location, and its duration, you will be you will be able to observe it carefully, and also later on during the interview, you'll be able to describe it uh, accurately. Now, once a pain has disappeared, of course, you go back to your rise and falling movement of the abdomen. Now, in the observation of a pain or an ache, meditators are advised to, well, develop a lot or to apply much patience and determination. So, if a pain arises, do not change your sitting posture right away, but rather try to stay with it, try to observe it for a while, try to know its different characteristics. And by doing so, you may find that the pain sooner or later disappears. Then, furthermore, um, changing one's posture owing to a pain every now and then will lead 
to a weakening of the concentration. Therefore, it's best you know, to change the sitting posture only when a pain becomes really unbearable, excruciating. And then, of course, go ahead and change your sitting posture, but please try to do so slowly and mindfully, labeling and observing all the different uh, movements uh, involved in uh, this change of posture. Now, once the pain has suddenly disappeared, then, of course, you go back to your rising and falling movement of the abdomen. And then, should you be hearing some loud sound, external sound, then you can take this as a next uh, object of observation. You label it uh, a few times as hearing. Hearing, you observe the hearing process, and uh, then in, you could pay attention to either the volume of the sound or um, the uh, impact on the ear itself, the physical sensations in the ear, or um, you could pay attention to the various uh, mental reactions, either liking you know, the sound heard or disliking it. However, meditators are advised not to pay too much attention to external sounds because this tends to you know, distract a meditator. So, rather rather than spending much time on external on list on, on you know, the hearing process, it is be better to you know, focus on internal uh, events. Then the same thing goes for the seeing process, internal seeing process. Occasionally, meditators see, you know, well, brilliant you know, lights or colors, or you know, various images, forms, and so on and so forth. These need to be labeled and observed, labeled as seeing, seeing, and uh, then observed. And it's important not to get carried away by these uh, uh, internal. Uh, seeing or, or uh, internal seeing processes. And in the same way, should any predominant uh, mental states arise, like uh, a sense of joy or happiness um, or equanimity or uh, strong mindfulness and on the un unwholesome side, should uh, a desire arise or hatred, aversion towards the pain or sloth and torpor, sleepiness, drowsiness and so on, restlessness, remorse and skeptical doubts, just to name a few, then please you know, take such a predominant mental state as your next object of observation, label it accordingly and uh, uh, then uh, once it, it uh, disappears, then return to your rising fawning. Basically, a meditator's task is to thoroughly label and observe and know all the predominant objects arising in the body or in the mind. And there's a certain maxim to follow here, namely, always to note and observe or label and observe the most predominant object that arises. And 
At the beginning of the sitting, we start, of course, with the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and then we take it from there. So, should the wandering mind be predominant, uh, you know, then the wandering mind becomes our next object of observation. And so, then later on, should the pain become predominant, then the pain is the next object of observation. And uh, when we hear an external, or, or when the hearing process comes into the foreground, and then we'd label and observe this, and uh, the same thing goes for predominant mental states. Now, should in your meditation practice, should several objects uh, of the same or similar intensity arise, then uh, you choose. You select uh, the object of your preference and simply stay with it and observe it for a while. I mean, in the sitting practice as well as walking practice in the general activities, there are certain mental factors that are very important to develop for successful practice. Probably the most vital factor for quick progress in the practice is mindfulness. And not just erratic, sporadic mindfulness, but continuous mindfulness. And this mindfulness has to be has to be present, ideally present, from the moment we wake up and uh, until the moment uh, we go to bed and uh, fall asleep. Now, of course, at the beginning of a, a retreat, meditators won't be able to have perfect, perfect continuity of mindfulness. But if one keeps at it, if one tries to develop this continuity of mindfulness, then over time, gradually, it becomes more and more continuous. And then one will uh, have uh, quick progress. Then, apart from the continuity of mindfulness, our venerable teacher, Sianu Upanita, stresses three other factors, mental factors that are helpful for, for, the, for progress in the practice. And these are, first of all, aiming. And the Pali term for this is given as vitaka. Actually, it's a jhanic factor. Now, by aiming, we mean that the mind, the noting and observing mind, knowing mind, has to be directed or focused towards the object of observation. And this aiming needs to be complemented by another mental factor, namely of effort, in the Pali language given as viriya. Now, it is with effort that we send or propel the mind towards the object of observation. And if there's only aiming, then this will not be quiet enough. The mind will not necessarily reach the object. It requires both, namely aiming and effort. And when both of these mental factors are present, then the note, the labeling, observing, and knowing mind will be in close contact with the object. And uh, 
as Sadhu Pandita likes to say, the mind will be rubbing the object, which is another mental factor in the Pali language, and this is given as vichara. Now, when these uh, three factors are present in one's meditation practice, then quite naturally, mindfulness, sati, will arise. And when this mindfulness becomes more and more continuous, uh, then concentration uh, will develop, it will strengthen, and based on the concentration, samadhi, wisdom will arise, quite naturally. Maybe this much on the uh, sitting meditation. Now, in the Mahasi tradition of the of the pasta meditation, meditators are encouraged to practice sitting, formal sitting meditation, as well as formal walking meditation. Now, the reason for this is that a meditator should, as much as possible, maintain the continuity of the mindfulness. So, just doing the sitting meditation and then after sitting, getting up and mindlessly or in an absent-minded manner, walking around, will disrupt one's mindfulness of one's sorry, one's momentum of mindfulness and concentration. So, therefore, the walking meditation becomes an integral part of the meditation practice. Usually at the beginning of a retreat, meditators are advised to spend an, an equal amount of time on the sitting meditation and walking meditation. So if you sit for one hour, and then also do the walking meditation for one hour. Should you not be able to sit for the full hour, let's say only 50 minutes or so, well, then do 50 minutes of uh, uh, walking meditation. Later on, as uh, you're progressing in your meditation practice, of course, you can uh, sit longer and you don't have to. Uh, your walking meditation doesn't have to be uh, of equal uh, duration. Now, the late Venerable Mahasi Sada you know, speaks or advises to do three kinds of uh, walking meditation within a session at the beginning of a retreat. Now, during the first and twenty minute of a one-hour session, we practice the relatively. Uh, fast left-right-left-right walking meditation, which means whenever the left leg moves, we label this as left or left step, and, and then you know, we carefully observe the most predominant sensation in the leg, wherever it may arise. It could be a stretching sensation in the knee area, or it could be some numbness in the thigh, or whatever. Likewise, when the right leg moves, we label this simply as right or right step. And again, we try to label and we try to observe the most predominant sensation that arises in the in the leg. And then during the next twenty minute period of your walking session, please slow down the speed of your walking 
and divide one step into two parts, namely the lifting process and the lowering process, and use only the foot as your field of potential objects of observation. And as the your foot is being lifted, label it once or twice as lifting, lifting, and then carefully observe all the different predominant sensations that occur during the lifting process. And start and pay, and pay attention to the very moment you know, when the heel comes off the ground. What kind of sensation do you experience right at that point? Is there a release? Do you experience a release of pressure? Or you know, do you experience some lightness or heaviness? Then, as the heel is coming up more and more, you may be experiencing some stretching sensation in the middle portion of your sole and sole of the foot. and then pay attention to different uh, sensations that may occur along the edge of the foot and then as only the toes are in contact uh, with the floor check the different sensations there do you experience some pressure is the pressure increasing or decreasing is it spreading out and then you know, maybe as the foot is coming up more and more uh, is there an increasing lightness and so on and so forth also this lifting process includes the movement of the or once the foot uh, leaves the ground and moves through the air then again different sensations may arise like lightness or heaviness and so whatever sensation is predominant uh, know it then during the lowering process of the foot, it's uh, exactly the same thing. You label it uh, once or twice as lowering, lowering, or placing, placing. And then you pay careful attention to the different sensations that occur during the lowering process. So there may be some lightness, there may be some heaviness, and so and then pay particular attention to the moment uh, when either the heel or the toes uh, first touch the ground. So at that very moment, what do you experience? Is there a sense of pressure? Is the pressure increasing or decreasing? Is it spreading out? Or is there a sense of hardness or softness, heat or cold, roughness or smoothness, and so on? So a variety of sensations can be experienced when one you know, pays careful attention to you know, all these parts. And then, upon placing the entire foot on the ground, again, you may experience some other sensations like a sense of relaxation, and then gradually as the weight of the body is shifted onto that foot, then there may be a sense of, well, further pressure, heaviness, and so on. Then, during the third 20-minute period of your walking meditation, please slow down your speed as much, or the pace of your walking meditation, as much as possible. 
And we have a maxim here, the slower you go, the more progress you will have in your practice. And it's not the other way around. The faster I do the walking meditation, the faster I will progress. Not like this at all. And when you do the third kind of walking meditation, then divide one step into three parts, namely the lifting process, the moving process, and the lowering process. And again, um, we use only the foot as a field, as the field of potential objects, and not the entire leg as in the first case. And uh, um, for the third kind of walking meditation, the lifting process and the lowering process is as explained right now, just, just earlier on. And so the only additional part is the forward movement of the foot. So this we label either as moving, moving, or gliding, gliding, uh, as you like. And then carefully we observe the entire process. And we can pay attention to either the different sensations that occur during the you know, process or the movement itself. Now, as the foot is gliding forward, one may experience a sense of lightness or heaviness, especially in the beginning. Meditators frequently say they don't perceive any particular sensations, or there may be just a sense of numbness there. Later on, one may sense some coolness or some warmth on the surface of the foot and so on and so forth. Then, in terms of movement, at the beginning of a retreat, some, especially new meditators, will not be used to walking so slowly. So the movement itself will be somewhat unstable. And so it may be wobbly, and so some trembling may, trembling, swaying may occur. So. In this case, just know this. And later on, the movement may be more continuous, smooth, and then this also has to be known. Occasionally, with more and more practice, meditators realize that a movement is not continuous, but that it is discontinuous. So it could be perceived as a stop-and-go movement. And then sometimes uh, during the meditation practice, it may seem as uh, if one is pushing the foot uh, you know, through water or as if uh, the foot is uh, uh, pushing or pressing against a wall. Sometimes it may seem as uh, if one is being pushed from behind or sometimes meditators are under the impression as if they're being pushed from in front. What or sometimes one feels uh, during the walking meditation as if uh, one is as if the foot is gliding through, or as if one is walking uh, on air or on clouds, and whatever the case may be, a meditator has to carefully uh, observe you know, what is going on. Now. In the walking meditation, there 
are two other important points that need to be considered or that need to be observed. The first one is restraint of the senses. And this restraint of the senses also applies to the general activities. When we do the walking meditation, then we do not look here and there. Same thing during our general activities, for instance, when we take a meal, we do not look here and there. The reason for this is it tends to distract the mind. Upon seeing an object, the mind starts thinking about what it has seen, and then it will no longer be with the actual object of observation. And this restraint of the sense of the senses in the Pali language known as Indriya Samvara Sila is very helpful to develop concentration. That's one benefit. And the other benefit is that it also very much helps to avoid unreason, unwholesome mental states from arising. And I'll give you an example for this. If a meditator is absent-minded and is doing his uh, walking meditation and then looking around here and there and so then uh, seeing a most beautiful young you know, female meditator you know, doing the walking meditation somewhere else, then our absent-minded male meditator may well, very much enjoy this sight and then end up fantasizing. And this means unwholesome and unwholesome mental state arises in the mind. Of course, the same goes for female meditator who practices the walking meditation with unrestrained, or with the senses unrestrained. In her also, well, unwholesome mental states may arise. So, restraining the senses very much helps to prevent unreasoned, unwholesome mental states from arising. Then, the next uh, uh, aspect that is very helpful for you know, the walking meditation in the general activities is to slow down all activities. The slower you can do your various activities you're involved in, the better. And being super slow on retreat is really helpful to see the minute details that arise in the body and in the mind. And Meditators find over time that a microcosm of new experiences arise, things you know, arise that usually we're not aware of. And by slowing, slowing down helps very much also to develop pertinent concentration and based on it to you know, develop uh, wisdom. Now, when you do your walking meditation, you can do it either here in the hall, but kindly do not disturb other meditators who may be still sitting, or in the um, 
well, areas that have been set aside uh, here for walking meditation, inside, outside, and so. And then you know, choose a path that is maybe 5, 10, 15 meters long, and then mindfully walk up and down. And please, there's no need to be in a hurry. You have no deadlines to meet. The aim is to be mindful and to know, know what is going on during the walking meditation. Now, a last point regarding the walking meditation is that during the first few days of your retreat, you may apply the three forms of walking meditation as explained earlier on, namely the left-right, left-right walking meditation, and then the lifting and lowering, and then finally the lifting, moving, and lowering process. However, when you find that quite naturally you don't want to go that fast anymore and that the left-right, left-right is too fast for you, then simply drop it and continue with the second and third form. And if you find that the second form of walking meditation is also still too fast for you, then drop that and just stick to the third type of walking meditation. Now, maybe this, or then I'll give you a quick demonstration. <coughs> now, when you do the walking meditation, it's helpful to maintain upright posture, and so then you can you can keep your hands either in front of the body or uh, behind the back, but currently when you do your walking meditation, you walk around like this. So it's not, it's different from walking, right? Walking. And so, and then we keep our eyes uh, downcast, looking at a spot maybe three or four meters ahead of us, and so, and then we um, label and observe as follows. So when the left leg moves, we label as left, and so on and so forth. Then, when you come to the end of the ring, and so you're standing, then label this as standing, standing. Observe the standing posture, so you can do predominant sensations in the feet or transferring the body. Then, when you're turning around, Label this as turn and turn and carefully pay attention to the different sensations. Turn, turn, and then again, standing, standing. Then, also, um, when the knowledge of the, ins of the inside knowledge develops to some extent, then one may include the intentions in the one's meditation practice, walking practice. But kindly be noticeable to have only the predominant sensation. So don't look, don't specifically look for any intentions. Then as for the second type of walking meditation, um, we divide one step into two parts, so the lifting and the lowering process. 
and so they will use only the foot, the different sensations occurring in the foot as an object. And you don't need to lift the foot above the world and then lower. And then um, when the other foot comes off the ground, we label this as lifting, and then again as lowering. And always paying attention, of course, to the most predominant sensations in the foot. Again, lifting.
maybe this much for the for as in terms of uh, further explanations for the walking meditation. Now, uh, a few words on the general activities. Main point is that all activities that we perform within a day become an object of our mindfulness. And so there's no, no activity that should be exempted. Whatever it may be, early in the morning, you know, waking up, you know, maybe first hearing a sound, so the, you know, the hearing process becomes an object, and then not sitting up in bed, getting out of bed, and then getting dressed and walking over to the shower, closing, opening and closing doors, walking over to the shower block, and then well, washing one's face, using the bathroom, and so on and so forth. All activities. You know, become an object of our uh, mindfulness. Then, throughout the day, the meals are, uh, again, an important part. We should uh, apply mindfulness as much as possible. When taking the food, then when going over to the table, then when sitting down, and then when we start eating, when we bring the food to the mouth and chew the food, um, always we should do so by labeling and carefully observing what is going on and then knowing the difference, knowing the nature of each and every object. Very helpful for the general activities is again the continuity of, of mindfulness and furthermore as pointed out already earlier on the restraint of the senses and uh, the slowing down of all activities. So the general activities become an integral part of our meditation practice. Nothing should uh, go uh, un well, or nothing, you know, every activity should be included in our you know, mindfulness practice. Now, the last area that we need to cover this morning is the interview. And uh, as you may know, our venerable teacher, Siyadu Upanita, is uh, well, very uh, famous for his uh, the interviews, and he sets high standards. And he expects meditators to you know, report their meditation experiences by adhering to, you know, well, three uh, three standards such as uh, such as accuracy, brev brevity, and precision. And when you give your report, then kindly select your best sitting meditation that occurred within the last 24 hour period, and also your best walking session. And it does help after good sitting or after good walking session to briefly write down uh, what occurred during you know, the you know, particular session. Um, 
this is especially true for those who have a poor memory. Those who have a good memory don't need to bother. And then when you report your experiences, please adhere to the three aspects mentioned at the outset, namely the occurrence of the object, the labeling and observation of the object, and the knowing of the nature of the object. So Sada is very systematic and he insists on meditators sticking to this formula. It helps for the interview process, it helps uh, you know, for easy communication. Even though it may seem somewhat uh, monotonous, try to stick to it uh, uh, as much as possible. And then, when you give your report, please you know, use simple language, so no need for uh, very elaborate uh, terms, and definitely do not include any Pali terms, like I'm experiencing Anicca, or then you know, there was a Dukkha experience, or things along this line. And also, please refrain from interpreting your own experiences. This is the teacher's job, and the teacher has much experience and will be able to correctly evaluate and assess a meditator's practice. Then, furthermore, Sometimes there are meditators who try to impress a teacher by you know, reporting experiences from imagination. But this, of course, we don't do. And uh, <laughs> um, so please stick, at, uh, stick to reality and keep in mind it's one of, uh, it's an extension of, uh, of the precepts. So honesty and sincerity in, in one's interviews or reports is an important uh, factor. And if a meditator is not sincere, um, not, not sincere and honest in the report, then for a teacher it may be very difficult uh, to assess what's actually going on. And then furthermore, when you come into the meditation room, the moment you open the door and you walk into the room, especially when you have interviews with Sainte Upanita, please be 150% mindful. No, actually, you know, just by you know, watching, by, you know, by observing a meditator coming into the meditation room, Sianaji already had and gets a very good impression of, or, or will be, you know, will be able to assess this meditator's practice. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, sometimes he just stands somewhere in a corner, and then observes meditators doing their walking meditation, and this will be enough for him to know what's going on. So, um, keep this in mind. And then, when you give your report, please try to be short to the point. Don't tell side of what you experienced during some uh, previous retreat ten years ago. He's not interested in that. He will know. He will want to know what's uh, happening in your practice right now. And 
And then when you give your report, especially to the Venerable Sadhu Upandita, don't get nervous. Sadaji uh, has, uh, well, he's, as he has grown in age, he has also mellowed out. And, and it is no longer the old story like seeing a dentist, being in the waiting room and waiting for the dentist. And uh, uh, then. Let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, then in terms of form of respect, well, the usual procedure is you walk in with uh, uh, hands clasped uh, in front of your chest, and then you uh, walk towards where the sitting cushion is, then mindfully and slowly you... No, well, you you lower the body, and then you bow down three times, and then with hands clasped, you wait until your turn comes, in order to save on time. Um, while one meditator is giving his report, the next meditator can already come into the room and, uh, and then get ready, and uh, then Sado uh, will be. And this way, we can save some time. And, so, and then, furthermore, having to you know, report one's experiences during during interview has a galvanizing effect on one's practice, and so the very need to report means that one has to observe very carefully in one's sitting practice and walking practice, and so and in this way one will make more effort in the meditation practice. Otherwise, we'll be just sitting there and daydreaming and wasting our time and money. And um, apart from this galvanizing effect, so, oh, going for an interview you know, always brings the additional you know, benefit of receiving a teacher's and it's a teacher's advice, and in the case of Sian Upanditas, a highly experienced teacher's advice. And sometimes Sian Upandita will just say a few words, and all the important information is right there. If you really apply that to your practice, you will notice that it makes a big difference and that it will uh, well accelerate uh, your pro progress. And so then, yeah, furthermore, um, in, for those of you who have difficulties, uh, health problems with knees and so on and so forth, as we mentioned already the other day, uh, or as Saint Joseph inquired, you know, who it will be all right uh, if you uh, 
well, you walk in and then in the standing posture you pay respect and then you know, you'll have to see if there's a, a seat available, then you just sit there and then you give your report uh, you know, sitting on a on a chair. Saad has said uh, this is no problem to him. The main thing is that uh, you do your meditation practice and that you have progress in your practice. And so, um, when you when you write down your meditation experiences after sitting, please do so in a you know, sequential manner. So, mentioning what happened at the outset of the sitting, and always you start, and also for the report, you start with the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and, and Sada doesn't want to, Sada Upanita doesn't want to hear you know, uh, other things at the beginning of uh, the report. So you start with the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and then you take it from there. And so if, if a pain arises, then you describe the pain, and so you know, then if the mind wonders, well, then you describe this, and so, you know, so on, so forth. And um, within a day, uh, there'll be uh, several uh, sitting sessions and several walking sessions. So choose your best sitting session uh, and your best walking session. Sometimes meditators ask, what is my best uh, session? I don't know. Um, choose that session that best reflects your practice, even if it is a difficult uh, uh, sitting. The practice is not going to be smooth sailing all the time. You know, meditators obviously go through you know, you know, well, ups and downs, and so if you happen to go through a down period, then a difficult period in your meditation practice, then just be uh, realistic and so, you know, report what uh, happening. Now, this brings us to the end of our morning session, and let me conclude by wishing that uh, these additional instructions will be helpful to you uh, for your meditation practice, and thus may you progress swiftly towards Nibbana and then experience the peace of Nibbana. Do you have any questions? Yes? Um, in this case, who as for background thinking or, or minor thinking, um, just ignore it and uh, stay with the rise and fall. And uh, oh, when the you know, the thinking of the wandering mind becomes predominant, or let's say obsessive thinking arises or so, then definitely take it as an object of observation, note and observe it, and uh, then when it, whenever it disappears, come back to the rise and fall.
Yes? In the walking practice, um, if the sensations of the foot that's on the ground are predominant and easier to discern than the, the more subtle sensations in the moving foot, does one stay with the predominant sensation? No. Uh, one stays with the sensations in the foot that is moving, even though uh, during the first few days of a retreat this may be somewhat difficult. And many meditators say, oh, there's much more happening in the other foot uh, which is static on the ground. Uh, despite of this, try to train the mind and uh, you know, right from the very beginning stay with uh, the, you know, the sensations occurring in the foot that is moving. Yes? Earlier you said to break up the walking from these different stuff. Then later on you said if you find that um, too fast and just immediately go into um, the second stage or the third stage. Did I misunderstand? No, no, no. What is meant is after a couple of days. After a couple of days, quite naturally, a meditator will find that the first type of walking meditation is just too fast. No. And then you can just drop it yourself. No. So it's a natural process and you just follow, you know, follow that process. And so if you've practiced a lot before and you feel that you don't want to do the left, right, left, right anymore, and you're really you know, get the most out of your walking meditation by doing the lifting, moving, and the lowering process, then you just go for that. And, uh, and uh, in your, maybe to add uh, one more point, you know, during your interview, report only on the third kind of walking meditation, because that tends to be the most precise. And, uh, yes? Pardon me? Oh, well, oh, if there's uh, if there's enough time, it's a good idea. Maybe after your report of the sitting, your best sitting, your best walking, to briefly say, and in other sittings such and such uh, you know, things also occurred. So you just add to a few uh, general observations. No, without giving uh, the whole uh, the report on the entire sitting, and uh, yes. When you're doing walking meditation, if you feel like sensation in your leg or your knee, is is that okay to bring that awareness there instead of just the foot? Yeah. Well, oh, what's, what I found over the years is that during the first few days of a retreat, meditators tend to experience uh, uh, sensations mostly in, in the leg. That's where they tend to be most predominant. And then as mindfulness uh, you know, improves more and more, gradually we learn to you know, pick up sensations uh, in the foot itself. And then, you know, then move your attention more to the sensations in the foot. No. And if I'm not mistaken, Siyadu Upanita follows this, the, same, uh, the same approach. Yes? Find, you know, sitting and walking through that my mind will get more concentrated 
so in reporting, um, is it best to report from the very beginning of the, say, of the sitting period, or can I sort of report more, more what happens in the middle? Well, if you have if you have plenty of things to report, then you could indeed you know, skip the beginning and just uh, you know, select uh, one portion, uh, the best portion of your sitting, and just uh, report on that. No, that would be uh, perfectly all right. Any other questions? Maybe one more uh, practical point. Oh, the Venomous side of Sarupanita, uh, he will conduct interviews every day and he will see five uh, meditators at a time and will do the interviews on a rotation basis. And Sarupanita uh, will uh, interview about 30 meditators a day and I will do uh, the same thing. And uh, interviews with Sarupanita will be in the building where we're staying, and uh, interviews with Asyadu Uthamanejo will be in the library, and uh, interviews with me will be in one of the uh, walking areas uh, down the aisle. No? And one point, another point that I forgot to mention is, since we'll be seeing the meditators on a rotation basis, Sometimes the advice given you know, from by one teacher and another teacher may be slightly differing. So uh, in this case, please try to be flexible and uh, try to adapt as best as you can. Oh, um, sometimes the approach uh, in, in guiding meditators is slightly different from teacher to teacher, so naturally there'll be uh, slight discrepancies. Okay, if there's no more questions, then this will be it for this morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.